Hello all and welcome to the uh, third episode of the Inciting Incident cast. I'm Dana. I'm Scott. And today we are discussing the sixth episode of Westworld. The Adversary. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, overall thoughts, Scott? This is what decompression has throught. Uh, I thought there were a lot of good chunks to the episode. Uh, I thought it raised some interesting issues and started to look at some of the wider storytelling and uh, sort of the uh, the wider conflicts that the show's going to explore. But there was just a lot of scenes that related solely to uh, moving along our characters and positioning our pieces uh, and some vignettes that I don't think really served a purpose mm-hmm. in moving the narrative forward. And I think that's all in service to the fact that we're watching a TV show and sometimes you have to stall. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't necessarily think we need to make excuses for it. I mean, there are plenty of TV shows um, that don't stall to this extent. I mean, I feel this episode was boring. I mean, the show's a good show. This episode didn't really advance anything much. Um, well, I, don't, I disagree with that. I think the episode advanced some stuff. Uh, but you got that in fits and starts. Important fits and starts. Um, I think that there are a lot of episode, a lot of scenes in this episode where um, one of the characters would say, "Okay, I want this," or "Okay, I found this," and cut, leave it to the next scene, and it just employed that tactic so many times. And again, and I get it's a TV show, but maybe we don't have to fall into those tropes so readily. Right? Maybe we could just give the viewer the satisfaction of finishing the sentence or the thought. I mean, there's plenty of mysteries to unravel in in Westworld that we don't have to have every scene be a cliffhanger because I feel as though that's very frustrating um, for a for a viewer to to watch constantly. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that Dolores wasn't in this episode at all and she's been the main protagonist for the entire show thus far. She wasn't in this episode at all. Right, right. But um, we did open with her scene, just with Maeve in, st- in, in place of Dolores, really signifying that, uh, you know, at least for this episode, Maeve was going to be sort of standing in Dolores' place. Sure, I mean, when you say her scene, only insofar as Maeve's the one waking up in a bed looking all refreshed and ready for the day, and I guess you could use that as a symbol that she would be the main focus of this episode and not Dolores, sure. Um, but I don't necessarily think that it mirrored Dolores' scenes in any way other than to just signify her as the protagonist. Well, right, but it, it I think it did so at least effectively enough to orient us. Okay, um, so should we get into the individual scenes? Yeah, yeah, let's talk about. Okay, first scene. Like we said, we just hit, we just touched on it. Is um, Maeve back in action after after the developments in the last episode where she started gaining awareness of her situation? Maeve's back in action, um, back in Westworld, waking up like we said, as Dolores did in her bed, calm, beautiful. Um, my first question is, what timeline is this? It's very hard to linearly, linearly place where she is. Um, is this at, at first we don't know? Did this happen after her conversation with Felix last episode? Um, Felix was his name, right? Um, uh, the Asian man who was who was speaking to her last episode. I believe his name is Felix. Oh, okay. Um, let's call him Felix. Even we'll if call, it's Felix. We'll call him Felix. If it's not Felix, that's a pretty funny name that I just came up with. No, um, that's pretty good. Um, <laughs> so. Basically, Maeve wakes up, um, she gets dressed, she walks into the brothel, we see the piano moving like it does in the opening sequence. The piano is playing itself now, people. And she, um, uh, her fellow, um, strumpet, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, let's go Her fellow that. strumpet, um, hones in on one of the guests, and Maeve's like, no, I'll take this one. And, um, Maeve... All business, not not put off by this alleged, uh, this seemingly brutal rape that's happening to her. And she's like, no, how about you strangle me also? <laughs> and she wants to be killed or knocked out or put out of commission. It seems that she has some sort of awareness and some end goal here. 
and the next thing, you know, he's choking around, and the next scene, she's in headquarters, um, and she right, says something so, so, like... So you were thinking she she basically went out of her way yes. to get put out of commission. Yes, I think yeah. that was... Do you agree with that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and the next thing we know, she's back at headquarters, and she says, okay, we have a few things to discuss, or something like that, and I believe that was a continuation of where we were with her last, last episode, or an explanation as to why she was where she was last episode. Because I remember last episode, she sort of appeared in the operating room at headquarters, and we didn't know sort of how she got there, and this might have been an explanation as to why. This might be a slightly different time, because I think the when she reappeared last episode, she had the little bird on her finger. I don't know if that occurred this episode. It it might be, and, and if it is, it's a clever little way of reaching back into the past and showing us how she got to this point. Um, but I think the point remains that she's seeking opportunities to get back out into the quote-unquote real world um, as she, you know, takes control of her uh, life, so to speak. Um, yes, I mean, I, I think that's it's all pretty clear here. In this scene, there's no real hidden meaning. Um, do you have anything no, else? Well, I mean, I, I, I definitely think it's interesting, which we touched upon before, that... Um, Maeve versus Dolores is an interesting dynamic in how they're approaching uh, exactly how uh, I'm sorry, how they're approaching their journeys to right. self-awareness and um, and control over the lives that they've been given mm-hmm. and you know, obviously Dolores, Dolores is, is closer to something like the, the standard hero's quest. Maeve mm-hmm. is obviously doing what she knows and wheeling and dealing her way yes. to, to something better, which both of which are in line with their underlying programming, you'd sure, guess. Sure, because, you know, Maeve yeah. is conniving and intelligent and probably has a higher intelligence quotient than, than Dolores, I would think. Certainly now. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, our TV just went off pause. Apologies. Um, I, I think I have something to, to uh, contribute to this specifically, um, in that Maeve is aware, is much more aware of the specifics of her situation. She basically has all the information she needs to know about what's going on now after this episode, and she's like, has accepted it, and now wants to improve herself as much as she can within the confines of what she's given. Dolores doesn't have as much knowledge as Maeve does about the world, but Dolores is at a point where I believe she's trying to escape from it and seek something greater. And arguably, Dolores's goal is just not attainable while Maeve's is. I guess that remains to be seen, yeah. Okay, um, so in the next scene, um, we see Bernard and Elsie discussing the probe that was found in the host last episode, and who put it there, who's broadcasting, um... No one suspects Bernard, or at least Elsie doesn't. Um, at this point, we as the viewers don't know if it was Bernard behind it. We know Bernard is secretly communicating with Dolores and, and programming her in a way he shouldn't be. So it stands to reason that Bernard could be doing something with the probe. We already know he's doing certain things in secret. Right. Well, we don't necessarily know he's programming Dolores, but they're having these weird conversations um, where he seems like he might be testing the limits of her cognition. Um, I don't know. I don't know if we know yet that he's made specific changes to her program. No, but at the very least, he doesn't want anyone to know about it, which leads the viewer to believe it's not entirely above board. Oh, sure, absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, totally. So Bernard says, "Okay, I'm going to go check on." They find an anomaly in the host that had the probe. Right. And so apparently, all the old hosts um, have a, a specific sort of transceiver um, that they don't use anymore. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, the woodcutter was one such host, uh, and they're, they're repur- someone is repurposing, reprogramming these hosts in order to sh- send data out of the park. Um, and so, you know, now they're on the trail of these And that's what hosts. the anomalies are. The anomalies are hosts that can export data, essentially. Uh, well, I mean, the anomalies are hosts that are being used Got it. to export okay. data. Um, possibly, right. uh, you know, there are, there are different kinds of anomalies. 
Um, and, and, and so we'll get into that as Bernard does, I think, a little bit of further investigation. Yeah, so he goes down to the basement, which right. is, like, right out of a horror film. Like, lights fl- flickering. Right, he goes down to, to uh, uh, basement-level something preposterous. Um, you know, we get, as we move through particularly this episode, but other episodes in the past, we see that the Westworld complex is Humongous. massive. It's, it's outrageously massive. Um, and so, you know, my first thought, I know it wasn't yours, but my first thought when I, uh, watched Bernard enter this, this area of the, uh, headquarters or whatever you want to call it, I thought this was a nod to the old Westworld movie again. You know, maybe Westworld, the Westworld we see now was just built on top of it after the problems that happened in the movie. Hmm. So, you know, he's walking around and I didn't think that the area just looked abandoned. I thought it looked like something had happened. Like, there were tables, some chairs overturned. You know, it looked like it was just sort of abandoned. And Do you think it was actually the set of the old Westworld? Is that what you mean? No, I, I'm... Well, I think in the narrative, yeah, it's the it's where that's what the I original... Mean. That's park. what I mean. Are we I think it's the original park. Okay, yeah. yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he's, uh, he's walking around and he logs into one of the computers there and he's using the old computers, which have access to the old geo data. And by old computers, they look like any computer any one of us would have had today. I mean, a little bit more sophisticated in terms of what they were able to do, like respond to voice commands, but correct. Um, (laughs) I I mean, I've got a, a, a few questions. One. Why is this section... Why can anyone still access this section? Why are these computers still on? Well, Bernard says... Bernard obviously has a very high level of access in the park, and he right. has to say, I have access before he goes in there. Right, but why does anyone have access? Why not? A fair, a fair point. Right. Um, I don't know why these computers are still on. Uh, a lot of interesting questions, and... and why is I'm, there one computer? Well, I think there's more than one computer, probably. But, uh, you know, it does make me wonder, you know, why was this abandoned? Mm-hmm. You know, what did something happen, which is why why I, I think about the first movie. Because you, the, look, you the, think the it looked originally. a little bit in disarray. Exactly. Like, okay. Right. Exactly right. So Bernard looks at these anomalies, and he sees the woodcutter anomaly. Uh, he sees, you know, exactly where and when the woodcutter was mm-hmm. uh, transmitting data. But the computer also picks up a bunch of other anomalies mm-hmm. uh, in uh, in sector three of the park, or no, I'm sorry, sector seventeen, sector seventeen of the park. Um, he picks up some anomalies, which uh, was also strange because you know I, I think to his knowledge, at least, and and he confirms this later. There's nothing going on in sector seventeen, right? Um, so there there are hosts, there are machines that aren't registered with the new system, which all hosts should be, because I guess they upgraded every, everything. Mm-hmm. Some still have the old system, but they should all have the new system. So now he sees a bunch of, uh, at least several hosts, several anomalies, that shouldn't be active. In an area that he knows to be abandoned. Right. Okay. Um, and that's essentially... That's essentially the scene. Yeah. Um, okay, so the next scene, um, we see Ford... Uh, within Westworld, um, in costume, randomly, and, and it makes you think, why is he in costume, and why is he always wearing this, like, semi-Western, semi-18th or 19th century English get-up? I yeah, mean, it is it, sort it, of interesting. It's, it's weird. It, it's almost like he's choosing to immerse himself to that extent in the park. Or it could be as simple as if he's going to walk around in the park, he doesn't want to be a jarring disconnect to the guests. I, I mean, because we saw, we've seen Elsie in the park before, and she's worn, like, a dress. Um, so maybe any anybody from headquarters who walks around in the park needs to address so as to not uh, not take guests out of the out of well, the narrative and out of the moment. Well, we know that's that's maybe not true, because we've seen with him walking around, we saw, you know... Uh, other workers just in the in the in the the weird looking oh, sort of spacesuit sort yeah. of thing. Yep. Uh, so I don't think it's that. I, I mean, I think well, spacesuits are probably necessary for all the 
bodily fluids that a lot of these people who clean sure. up come in contact with given the purpose of some of these bodies. Right, sure. But I'm yeah. just saying, obviously, you know, they don't all have to dress up right. in period garb. So I think it's something else. Um, and it might just relate to the fact that, you know, uh, this is Ford's domain and his kingdom and, well, and there's a certain comfort level here. And he likes here. it and he takes pride in it and he wants yeah, to. Yeah, and so, right, exactly. Um, and then he, you know, he walks around, they talk briefly about his new narrative, and he sees a maze symbol etched into a wooden table, and he looks surprised to see it. Right, which, right, which I thought that was very telling. Which that, I mean, this is a guy who has a very um, tight control, um, and almost a micromanager as to what's going on in the park, and for him to be surprised at something is a little odd. Um, you know, it, it, it leads to questions such as, well, maybe Arnold was mostly responsible for this maze and such that he would leave symbols around the park that maybe Ford wouldn't know about. Um, right. No, I think I think that's exactly right. I think it just uh, one little uh, snippet to show us that Ford's not 100% aware of everything that goes right. on in the park. Especially uh, regarding the maze. And, and, and perhaps regarding Arnold. And maybe that's why he wasn't able to provide Ed Harris with more of a comprehensive knowledge of the maze when they spoke last episode. It's possible, yeah. Uh, maybe there's some sort of motivation, character motivation behind his lack of knowledge rather than just a plot device. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so the next scene is very short. Um, it's just Ford back in headquarters, seemingly perplexed about the maze symbol that he found and looking in a book about, I guess, first-generation hosts. Um, and he sees Dolores, and he sees a maze symbol. Right. Well, it was a, it was a, it was a sketchbook, um, and it had sketches of Dolores. I'm wondering if it was maybe um, Arnold's old sketchbook or something. Maybe. I don't know who, yeah, who created this. Probably. If it had the maze symbol in it, probably. Right. So, uh, you know, so he's taking a look at it. Um, just, again, reinforcing the fact that he's not quite sure what it is. And, you know, at this point, um, as should be obvious uh, to, to everyone, but I'll just point it out, the May symbol looks a lot like the Westworld um, logo, with the person in the center of it, um, sort of splayed out like like the well, Da Vinci's. The Westworld logo is the W in a half circle. It doesn't have a person in it, does it? Uh, well, the TV show's logo does. It's got the person okay. in it in the sort of Da Vinci style uh, pose, um, you know, from Da Vinci's uh, yeah, the, portrait uh, of the. But something man. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so at the center of the maze, which kind of looks like a brain, um, just, just, uh, throwing, throwing that out there, which I think is, is very relevant and probably very intentional. At the center of that, there's a little person. Oh, well, that's the, per- that brings us to the next scene. I don't want to, I mean, unless you had something. Well, I'm, I'm yeah. just drawing those, yeah. those parallels and, and suggesting that, you know, maybe there's a connection, uh, there, maybe there are some clues about what the maze is. Uh, within the Westworld logo, or, or maybe when you sure. see when you see those people, you know, uh, hosts splayed out in that way. Um, I just I found that particularly interesting. Um, so the next scene, it's Teddy and the Man in Black, which we don't know the Man in Black's name um, in his older. If there are multiple iterations of the Man in Black, we don't know his name as older Man in Black. Right. Okay. So we see the Man in Black and Teddy on their way to a town to try and pursue Wyatt, and Man in Black's like, Teddy, tell me about the maze. Like, access whatever you've been recently programmed to. <laughs> tell me about the maze. And he said that there was a man who would... Um, here's what I remember about it. it. There was a man who used to fight off a lot of enemies all the time, and um, he was always in conflict, fighting off enemies, and finally... You know, he he went to the center of the maze and, and decided he didn't want to do that anymore and then just lives at the center of the maze. Um, okay, so... No? Uh, not... <laughs> only in its vaguest sort of sense. Um, so there was a man um, who I... who, perhaps out of conflict, but kept suffering countless deaths, uh, but would be sort of reborn at the end of that obvious allusion to hosts. Hosts. Um, and, you know, given that the maze was probably created by Arnold, uh, I think, you know, this particular story from Teddy um, is, is very important. And so, you know, um, you know this, this individual, a, a, a him is what I take it from Teddy's uh, commentary, 
constantly dying, uh, dying these deaths and, and being reborn, and eventually uh, sort of grew tired, grew tired of that uh, in some way, shape, or form, and construct, constructed a house um, in the center of the maze. Or, or contract a house where he would live, and around it built a maze so complicated that only he could navigate it. So as to protect himself from suffering. From suffering. Uh, I think I think that's the implication. Protect himself from suffering. Cut himself off from from the rest of I guess humanity or the conflicts that he was uh, mm-hmm. he was living in and with. Um, and that's uh, that's that's more or less. Uh, and and I certainly apologize for not having it uh, committed to memory fully. These are uh, just reactions, so mm-hmm. we weren't able to get it all down. But I think that's going to be sort of very important uh, in a very in a general metaphysical way for what the maze actually is. I don't know that the maze represents an actual physical maze. Teddy even mentions that you know the maze is is made up of all aspects of our life. You know. Um, hopes, dreams, whatever—it's mm-hmm. the sum parts of a, of a person's life, and so I think the maze in Westworld, as a as a as a, a puzzle to be solved, probably is a bit more existential than it is physical. Um, although there might mm. be uh, some room at the end or something, some secret area that you access the quote-unquote center of the maze in. So I'm wondering if I mean it's very—it's been made very clear. Um, watching the series thus far, and also I'm told in extra content, um, if you go to the Westworld website, that HBO plug <laughs> that the creators of Westworld, the you know in-story creators, make it a point to collect a lot of data about you. They they collect data about you before you even go to Westworld. They collect data about you while you're there, who you're reacting mm. to. What what you're influenced by, what you're interested in, um, and also they they hold rights to all your all everything that's your that's done in Westworld and everything you leave there bodily fluids anything they have the rights to really right so I didn't know that's that. on the web, that's on the website okay. so I'm wondering if this maze for anyone who would reach it and maybe no one ever has up until this point is more of a personal sort of journey that the creators create that's tailored to the person. And maybe only a person like the man in black who's been there as long as he had and has found out as much as he had about the world would even be able to access and think about how much more information they would have on him over 30 years. So maybe the maze is something that's tailored to the guests. Maybe. And their experience. Like That's an interesting... Creating choices for them and memories and all sorts of things. I mean, if the technology is so advanced in this world, who knows? who's to say that they wouldn't be able to go out of their mind and pull specific harrowing experiences that would be specific to the person and make them rel- relive it? Like real sci-fi fantasy shit. Yeah, no, you maybe. Know? I mean, I- I've been looking at the mazes... As a puzzle and a problem for the hosts themselves, mm-hmm. uh, but that's an interesting that's an interesting take on it, and uh, maybe it's a little bit of both. I, I hopefully we'll we'll start to see more of what the maze is and and sort of how those problems come to the fore soon. I mean, I think it's very easy to um, think that maybe Arnold himself is the man at the center of the maze, and Arnold has uploaded himself into some sort of. Um, computerized digital medium and but that's almost the obvious guess i think that i would hope that the show would make it a little bit more intricate um and creative than that because it it seems too obvious to just have you know robot arnold in the middle of the maze right well i mean even if he's not in the middle of the maze obviously there are still at the very least electronic echoes of of arnold still running around sure he's very much still present in the park yeah so i think this show is still leveraging those those basic ideas of and maybe it'll talk more about you know identity and 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 what life after death means if anything and immortality and Mm. and things like that and uh so i think those will will be themes that come up but i like you hope that the answer is not so simple as there is a wireframe Arnold right. at the center of the maze uh, saying... Like Ready Player One, yeah, right? Like, know, <laughs> yeah, good job, but your princess is another castle. Maybe it offers the hosts immortality. Maybe it offers the guests some sort of immortality and permanent place in the park. Uh, I mean, That would be, or like, convert yourself to a host. 
Maybe. I mean, maybe that's how they make the host so lifelike. I, I considering well, no, that some issues. Considering with that, that, yeah, there are a few issues because they go into depth showing us how they make the hosts synthetically, and it seems as though no one has been able to re- reach the maze yet. Correct. So, also, they've built hosts after Arnold died. Um, that you know lack some of the elegance, uh, I guess, but but do a better job in some other respects. Okay. Um, next scene is Maeve, um, and basically Felix and his partner are telling her, or Felix only at this point, excuse me, are just explaining to, with her who she is and how she differs from humans and. Uh, basically tells her the only difference is and he points to her mind that you have so much more intellectual capability than any any one of us regular humans um which leads me to ask how is no one seeing this westworld both westworld and headquarters seems to be a heavily monitored place and he's divulging everything to her no one sees this. I mean, that strains credulity a little bit, and just it's like oh, a hand absolutely. wave. It ha- it's a, like a hand wave to further the narrative. No, I agree. I actually thought this was fairly poor writing because I think it's been established that people like Felix and his partner they deal with deactivated um, hosts. You know, mm-hmm. they they cut them up, they put them back together. The fact that she's sitting upright mm-hmm. in the glass rooms that they have, yeah. which have no privacy, That's and an speaking to him. <laughs> yeah. Um, that doesn't seem like it should happen within the rules that they seem to have outlined right. uh, on the show so far. And so, you know, great. It furthers the narrative. Um, it, you know, we're, we're making sure we have a scene where Maeve is oriented. But I really just thought it was bad writing. Now, what do you think of the scene where they're like, look, I'll show you. And he shows her the tablet and it essentially goes through her Venn diagram of speech. Um, do you think that it was predicting what she was going to say before she said it? Do you think, I mean, how do you think that was actually working? Oh, uh, so he, uh, well, Felix said he was going to pair his device with her. With her, right. So what it's actually showing is her neural net, her her decision-making process, Mm -hmm. selecting responses from her list of pre-programmed words or phrases or what have you. as she was speaking, it was registering on this. Exactly. But I mean, think about it. I mean, not anyone, any device could do that. If I'm a real person and I'm speaking to it, it could just take all my words and put them in a diagram. No, no, well, no, she, the the device was mapped to her brain. No, I understand that. I'm just saying that she could, she could explain that away. Like, oh, it just, it just hearing what I'm saying and and highlighting words on a screen. Like, I'm not really a robot. Uh, Well, I mean, I think, you know, sitting there in that room with Felix, with technology she doesn't understand, you know, as she's been programmed as a Western character, I, I think starts to, starts to break down your... Right, I mean, there's been more... Right, sure. I'm just saying it. So I, yeah. I don't, I don't think that explanation necessarily would have held a lot of water for her. And in fact, uh, again, just a, a quick nod to the the very cool uses of effects and technology that that HBO has put together for Westworld. They really do make the actors playing these hosts look robotic when they need to. And we have this brief scene of Maeve breaking down when she's seeing. And her, she's like her, overloaded. With she's yeah, yeah. You, you know. You, you'll notice like there are a bunch of conflicts as as you go through the screen because you know she's having trouble selecting these responses when she sees that she's re- selecting these responses and there's I guess there's f- this feedback loop and she just sort of shuts down and uh, it's a credit to the show and a credit to the actors that they're able to use technology and their own acting style to pull this off and seamlessly transition between like fully program host. And host that's acting more quote unquote human and you know having these revel- revelations to back to mechanical host like analysis mode switch the way you're acting completely it's it, all the acting is very good yeah yeah the acting is a I, I think been one of the bright spots of, of this show for me okay so um the next scene I don't think we need to talk a lot about is just uh, Teresa breaking up with Bernard. Yeah, nothing, um, nothing real. She uh, she basically calls him in and, and tells him that you know because the propriety of the situation, uh, the fact that they're they're you know different different parts of the Westworld system, you know that 
and that since Ford knows about them, she obviously doesn't want to jeopardize her career, so they step back. Okay, um, the next scene is a continuation of Felix and Maeve, where Felix... Maeve sort of demands that she wants to see what goes on in headquarters, and Felix is like, okay, <laughs> again, a hand wave. This is, when, this no is ridiculous. This, yeah, this no one is no nonsense. One, that she's walking, she's walking all over headquarters, and no one's, no one, no consequences, no, no alarm is raised. I mean, I know Bernard and uh, Elsie are busy um, investigating this probe, and but surely someone else would think this is odd. I mean, when Scott and I were watching it, I, we, you know, we thought this was so odd that no one would call them out on this. That I said, well, maybe this is common. If you have to transport hosts, it's easier to have them walk than maybe just to like transport them. Um, in off position, for lack of a better term. I mean, maybe, maybe just having hosts walk around like he this. He put her in a dress. Well, sh- sure, but like she could have been in a dress because maybe she was recently taken off world. And don't forget, he was walking behind her with a tablet. Whether or not he need, he obviously didn't need the tablet because she was functioning very much on her own at that point. But maybe to make things seem a little less suspicious, he was walking behind her with a tablet. To show the illusion that he was controlling. Yeah, her. no, I, I think that's exactly right, and I, I th- so I think the writers attempted to sort of deal with this basic problem. But uh, honestly, considering you know what we've seen, I thought it was a bit ridiculous to have Felix walking around with this uh, this uh, this host. And I'm really wondering where the uh, where the corporate oversight here sure. is is. Um. So I mean, we could ask that a lot in this episode. I think from from this point forward, for our purposes. We'll just we'll just log that and say this doesn't make sense, so we don't have to keep bringing up how un, un, unrealistically, from a narrative perspective, this is. But uh, one uh, part of this, this scene that really impressed me was when they showed putting the blood into the milk-like bodies of the host. I thought that was really, really cool. Image. That was a very cool effect. And yeah. I thought it really um, brought to mind the sense that these creators or the people who work for Delos are really godlike and they're giving life to these beings that are almost indis- that are indistinguishable from humans and it, it they're giving life and it, it, it's godlike and it, it just it's just amazing to see and i think that blood rushing into the body and the body turning pink or beige or whatever from the you know insertion of the blood was was really was beautiful yeah, no, it was a that was a, a cool image, and you know the series does play a lot, play around a lot with uh, images of the human body, and uh, I think it does a good job of it. And this one in particular, I think, was very, be- very beautiful. I, I mean, I think personally, the scene went on a little too long. You know, we get it that you also make buffalo and horses. You know, one thing that maybe we hadn't seen before is the actual hosts almost rehearsing their scenes or acting out what they're programmed to acting to act out, not necessarily realize that they're in a laboratory and not the actual world. I mean, it was interesting to see Maeve's reactions to these things, especially the scenes of um, the, the hosts having sex, because that obviously resonates with her. Right. Other than seeing Maeve's reaction to things, I think a lot of this was duplicative and unnecessary and part of what made the episode a little bit boring. Well, no, I mean, uh, I agree in a large, a large capacity, but... Uh, I think little things like this add to the discussion topics that I like because, you know, we're talking about a... uh, We're watching a television show, which is a voyeuristic experience. We're watching a television show about basically these these uh, highly sophisticated stage plays and when Maeve is walking through there, you're watching the quality assurance people... you're watching the voyeurism that goes on there as they watch these scenes play out. You're watching her watch that. It's it's this weird layering mm-hmm. of this voyeuristic experience that I think really does speak to uh, some of the things that, that Westworld wants to explore and talk about and what what it is, what it is to look at things and what it is to experience them and, and where we derive pleasure mm-hmm. uh, from the looking. Uh, so I actually thought that was really cool, even though you're right, it really didn't further the narrative. I just thought it was one of those little nods that Westworld likes to do to these uh, larger issues at hand. So the scene sort of ends with um, Dolores, not Dolores, excuse me, Maeve, in the portion of Westworld where I guess guests come to see the movie right before they go into Westworld, and you see, welcome to Westworld, and you, we see the host that brought in Will in the beginning, 
uh, one of the first few episodes, and we see Dolores in her role, you know, riding a horse in the sunset, and cut to the brothel, and we see a madam that's not Maeve. And I, I suddenly thought to myself, that's going to really, you know, screw Maeve up to see someone who she identifies as not her. And then almost immediately we cut to a scene where we do see Maeve, which is one of her flashbacks we've seen in the past of her as a mother um, with who we could presume is her daughter. Um, and that triggers a lot for Maeve. Right. And I, I think we find out in the very next scene maybe when she's talking to Felix again, that it's just easier to overwrite a lot of the hosts rather than just uh, wipe them. Sure, and I think, uh, I'll speak more of that about that in a minute, but I think, you know, the, the, the tagline for that Westworld video is live without limits, and I think it's very poignant when Maeve, who's extremely limited, limited by her situation, limited by her programming, um, it's, it's, it's particularly resident in light resident in light of the um disparity there yeah yeah absolutely uh and then like you said the next scene um you know she's it's back in the she's back on the operating table and you know she says to felix uh you know but i've been in the brothel for 10 years you know how how are these memories or she says something like i've been in the brothel for 10 years he's like no actually you've been in the brothel for one year um, you know, the memory, we can't get completely get rid of your past memories, so we sort of adapt them to, for our narrative purposes. Right, right. Yeah, he basically says that, you know, I mean, hypothetically, they could wipe everything, but he said it would be too time-consuming and expensive, um, which, uh, again, you know, little subtle thing, and so going forward, you know that a lot of these hosts are walking around with all, most, if not all, of the memories mm-hmm. of all the prior um, incarnations, mm-hmm. which takes us back to um, Dolores's original father, um, Abernathy, who sort of went crazy right. because he had previously been this weird uh, serial killer um, in some town during some narrative, and I guess whatever happened to him caused him to start re- redrawing on those memories and those experiences. And so it makes you wonder, you know, if other hosts start to do the same. Are we going to have similar problems, similar emotional breakdowns mm-hmm. when they start drawing upon all of these other disparate and dissonant lives that they've had? You know, it's a a weird version of the of the Buddhist idea of reincarnation mm-hmm. and, and coming around on the Dharma wheel. Um. So then Felix's partner walks in, and and Maeve gets quiet. And right away you think, oh, she knows, like, she knows how to, she senses danger, and she knows how to manipulate a situation to her advantage, right. um, which is incredibly advanced and impressive, um, given what's, what she's discovered and what we know about Maeve thus far. And she threatens him, comes alive, and threatens him with a knife. Well, here's a quick question. Could she have actually hurt him? That's, well, that's what my, the next thing yeah. I was going to say. I don't know. I mean, she's already... I don't think so. It depends on... I mean, it, it depends on how they want to... Depending on how they want to go with this narrative. I mean, you could say no, because she's programmed. She can't. Or yes, because she's overcome her programming to the extent that she's able to. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, she's obviously got some... some. She's moved past some limitations, but I don't know if she's... Uh, I don't know if we're at a point where she's so far beyond her original programming that she could, she could hurt him. But... You know, we've already seen, you know, hosts can rough up uh, guests, humans, a bit. They can rough them up, but they can't kill them. Exactly. So I I don't necessarily think she could have killed him, but I think the the shock and the threat uh, and his cowardice was certainly enough to to move him past. He doesn't want to get hurt by her, and he knows enough that she could at least really hurt him. Then, you know, she goes on to manipulate him to go on with the plan, and I don't really... Maybe you could explain this better. Maybe I was taking notes, so I didn't follow it as well as I could, but I can't imagine a situation where he would be persuaded to help her. I mean, what's in it for him? He has the control there. I mean, he could just go straight to someone in headquarters and just say, this robot, this host is off the charts. She needs to be decommissioned, and, and that's it. I mean, what does he have to gain here such that he would go along with this plan for her? Right. Right? I mean, um, am I missing something? Well, yeah, yes, but also no. Um, so giving the show 
um, a lot of credit and reading between the lines, um, which they lay out, but but you sort of have to move. It's never made explicit. It's essentially it essentially seems to me that um, Felix's friend um, actually has cajoled himself a lot more admin rights uh, than he normally would have, and he's basically been deleting records and helping people. Um, in this area, either have sex with or have other weird interactions, I mean, not weird, but other interactions with hosts that they're not supposed to be having. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she has picked up on this somehow, um, and it's made more explicit in later scenes, and so she's blackmailing him um, that she'll have people find out, she'll have her, she'll have her I, I'm just, you know, yeah. let me get it out, that she'll have headquarters, uh, Westworld headquarters, find out what he's been doing um, if if she doesn't, if he doesn't help her. Now, a couple of things are problematic with this. One, that doesn't explain why he would not immediately run away after she took the knife away from his neck to go tell anyone, because sure. she hadn't made that threat yet. Sure. Um, and two, I'm not sure um, why he would feel threatened by her, because he could literally say, okay, you're right, uh, let, me, let me walk out the door really quick and get a, an iPad or something so I can do this, and shut her down. Or shut her down at any point in the near future. I mean, he could wait till tomorrow and right. shut her down. I now, mean, there's really, she holds nothing over him. Well, I mean, not maybe, really. maybe, maybe the issue is that she's not shutting down properly anymore, and, and we've sort of seen that. But I agree... Uh, generally speaking, I think it's another another hand wave, another yeah. little bit of bad writing that could use some better explanation. And, and maybe it's getting to the point where there are too f- too many of these hand waves and narrative incongruities for us to to accept at this point. I mean, there's a lot. Yeah, particularly and, with Maeve's storyline. Right. You know, I, I certainly appreciate where the writers were going, but I'm not wholly buying into the fact that. You know, someone is able to break out of their loop so so easily by making a few what I think are very idle threats um, to the gods, quote unquote gods that she's found herself amongst. Okay, so then we have a, a series of scenes where I don't necessarily think anything really important is happening that we need to discuss. Um, Lee in the resort area of Westworld, I guess maybe for employees. Who cares, right? He gets really drunk. He meets this woman. He tells them how stymied he is at his job. I I, I don't have much to say. The Lee storyline is wholly uninteresting to me, and I don't necessarily think it's filler. I I, I think it is filler. I think it maybe could potentially turn to something, but in its current form, this scene just served to introduce the, uh, the woman he met, who we again meet a little bit later on. Right, and then we have a another cut to... Ed Harris and his um, interaction with Teddy, and I actually didn't write too much down about this. I think it's just a, a continuation of their um, quest for Wyatt. Yeah, they're on. They're on. They're on their way to uh, that city called Pariah, yeah. and they come upon uh, an encampment of military men, and they're just essentially trying to get through there so they can get to Pariah. And it's basically a, a quick action scene. Yeah. Um, you know, not not too much going on here that I think moves the story forward. Nothing nothing really that I even picked up on. And then we cut back to Lee again and he is speaking to this new attractive woman that he meets and um, he brings up revel, revel, revelries? <laughs> reveries. And he said that's, you know, they're basically programmed except for these reveries. And um, you know, it just brings to mind like Ford's the one who created these reveries and what side is Ford on? Does Ford want these hosts to have, to just be hosts? Or does he want them to sort of expand their consciousness? Or does he, did he just create the reveries so they would be better in their host capacity? What was the point of it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely feel like it's the latter, um, you know, based on my view of Ford, which is this guy with the God complex. I think he's just perfecting his his subjects, really. Okay, so the next scene is a very interesting scene. Uh, Best scene in the whole episode. Um, This is Bernard, um, and he is going to check out the sector where the anomalies were. And um, he takes an elevator to a specific section of the park, which 
I love the fact that the park is so massive yeah. that you can you can literally walk like miles, take an elevator up, and be in a completely different sector. I I, I think is correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first time in Westworld we've seen anyone in headquarters take an elevator to a specific section of the park, right? Or have, no, have we seen no, we've seen that, seen that, that a few times. It's cool. It's really cool. Um, and we see a house um, that is. Clearly not Western. Clearly not Western. <laughs> um, it looks like something right out of the English countryside. Um, and Bernard, as uh, you know, we're we're led to believe up to this point that Bernard has a very high clearance. You know, he's 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 essentially um, Ford's right hand man, very high up, and he seems completely surprised, like he knows nothing about this. Right, because there um, shouldn't be hosts here. And he walks in and he sees the boy. With, the boy who we've seen several times right. with Ford and in a few other places in the park. Who's dressed exactly like Ford, by the way. In a, a, in a similar, yes, very yes. similar. And um, in, we, we, Ford happens to be there. Well, before that happens, one of the robot attacks Bernard, essentially, for just intruding in their house, as any regular person would. And Bernard tries to give them commands, and it doesn't work. And the robot continues to sort of rough him up, and then cut to Ford, who says something, all the robots stop, and um, you want to go into what, what Ford explains here? Um, yeah, so Ford Ford essentially explains that um, Arnold uh, built these old models for him as a gift, uh, and this is his family, this is Ford's family. Ford is in fact the, the young... The young Robert, yeah, like Ford is in fact the young boy who we've seen several times throughout the uh, course of Westworld so far. Um, you know, his brother is there, his parents are there, um, even, I guess, the family dog is there. Um, and uh, they're older, they're older models, uh, you know, so uh, again, they don't have any of the newer uh, systems, newer stuff. You know, Ford displays, you know, that the, they, their front face can open up and, and they talk a little bit about that. And uh, Ford actually explains he's been maintaining them himself, and obviously it's uh, of great sentimental value to him. Uh, what I found particularly interesting was that Ford mentions he made them a little bit more lifelike. He gave his father the drinking problem right. um, that I guess his father didn't have in Arnold's idealized gift version. Um, and so I think this is actually really interesting and really important because it shows in some ways that Arnold may have an idealized version of these creations and he wants them perfected and he views them as these maybe greater beings, which may be why uh, we see some evidence that he wants to sh- unshackle them from from their, their prison of compliance. You mean Ford wants that? No, Arnold okay. wants that. Um, because Arnold looks at them as idealized beings. Okay. Which is why he gave idealized versions of his family to Ford. Say, wouldn't you say an idealized version is maybe more trapped than one with nuances and complexities and flaws? Um, yeah, but if Arnold is trying to further evolution, further, you know, display his uh, sort of godlike power of creating perfect beings, um, then making these perfect beings and unshackling them given them their given free will might be Arnold's ultimate plan um his ultimate like gift to the world is perfect beings so walking in it how would Ford's um bestowing of flaws and a drinking problem onto these robots work against that well Ford and Arnold are diametrically opposed right foes foes uh <laughs> Hamilton <Yeah. laughs> so um when Ford uh creates the drinking problem in his father he's He's doing a couple of things. One, I guess he's embracing his past, and he's not sugarcoating uh, what happened, and I think that's one level. And I think the other level is that, you know, he uh, he doesn't believe these are perfect beings. These are, you know, tools, uh, things he lords over, um, things that that I think don't need to be perfect, but do need to be more and more real. Because the realer things are, the more godlike his status in controlling them. I don't know. I think that you could look at it another way, is that the more nuanced and um, filled with flaws they are, 
the more real these hosts are and the more freedom that they have, the more idealized and one note they are, they're that much further from humanity. And by bestowing them with a more complex personality filled with positives and negatives, you're giving them the gift of reaching closer to humanity. Maybe, but that seems to cut against Arnold's uh, sense of control in Westworld and, and what I what I view as his God complex. Sure, but maybe Ford is... Yes, Arnold does have a God complex. No, we're, we're talking about Ford now. You said Arnold. No, I said Ford. Oh. Well, I'm thinking that maybe Ford is on the side of these hosts expanding as much as they can hmm. by by giving them a more comprehensive personality. Oh, I mean, yeah, fair. I... I don't believe that of Ford myself. I think Ford likes having his kingdom, and I don't think he necessarily, based on other conversations we've seen with Bernard, where he talks about them as tools, um, I don't see Ford wanting to unshackle his his toys. Okay, um, next scene is headquarters, Lee peeing on something. Again, I don't care. I don't have much to say about Lee. Get him out of the show. He's just filler. Um, well, so this scene introduces, um, reintroduces the woman that Lee was talking Teresa. to earlier, Teresa, who's, uh, I guess, head of the board. Um, so this was just a, a series of cut-up scenes to introduce her. Um, but, uh, you know... Again, not much to say. No, not, I don't think there's a whole lot going on besides that. Um, the next scene is, an, again, Har- uh, Ed Harris and Teddy, uh, Man in Black and Teddy, uh, tied to a wagon and... Um, they get free, and Teddy shoots everyone, and Ed Harris somehow gets free, and right before Teddy gets free, he has a flashback of him working with Wyatt and killing people. Right. Uh, I think the only interesting thing about this scene was that they were going to brand him with the maze symbol. Mm -hmm. Um, again, you know, the maze image is recurrent, and we're seeing it a lot more Mm -hmm. as we've gotten away from... Sweetwater. Sweetwater and away from sort of the, the, the most market place, market driven aspect yeah, of, of Westworld. Yeah. Um, and that was cool. But other than that, this was just, you know, the, the action scene that we talked about with, with Teddy and the Man in Black. Before, this is just the full extended end of it. Right. Cut to uh, Anthony Hopkins with his younger robot um, self finding the dog dead and asking who shot this dog. We can get more into this later when we actually find out what happened to the dog in a later scene. Um, But again, this is just one of the examples in this episode of these tired cliffhangers. Just make it one scene. Hmm. Just, Just bring who shot to the dog to a conclusion in one scene. If you think it's very important, save it to the end. Um, you know, it's just these cliffhangers. Um, and the next scene is Elsie um, um, on the phone with Bernard saying that it looks like someone in the park is actually broadcasting signals out. And I think I've traced the, the area in the park where the signals are being broadcast out from. Um, and it's a theater. And again, in this scene, she doesn't actually find out anything. It's just her looking around the theater and finding a computer. Essentially, finding the, Again, uh, the, a the transmitter. Yeah. yeah. Um, next thing is um, Teresa um, inside HQ. Uh, Bernard goes to her door and tells her that someone is broadcasting signals. Cut to Elsie saying, "It's Teresa." Yeah, uh, <laughs> Teresa calls him while he's uh, with her and says that it looks like uh, Teresa. Was broadcasting how, how, I guess she just found that She looked on the computer. computer yeah. yeah. But she goes on to, to say, uh, is it in the next scene that she goes on to talk about Arnold? I think so. Okay. Yeah. So we'll wait to that. Uh, yes. Yes. Um, so next scene, again, Maeve. And Felix explains to her essentially how her life is one big RPG. And she has different qualities that they either increase or decrease depending on how it serves the narrative. For example, she is a brothel owner, so she has to be... She's basically as intelligent as they'd make any host, but not as intelligent as they could make her. Um, And again, this speaks to... Maeve says, um, I want to make some changes, which speaks to the theory that I 
brought up earlier in this episode of our podcast, which Maeve's aim is to work within the system, not overthrow it, and to exploit the system to her advantage. Um, again, they cut away before we find out what alterations she wants to make, which is the third scene cliffhanger in rapid succession. They're really overusing this uh, in this this method in this episode. Right. I, I mean, I don't know if, if they're trying to mix it up to, to keep things interesting, or if they're actually attempting to sort of keep us on our toes or whatever, but uh, I would have preferred these scenes to, to mostly play out right. um, uh, fully. But, you know, maybe maybe it's a, a narrative device for the specific purpose of of uh, keeping people engaged with, with changes in what's going on. I don't know. Next scene, we cut to Bernard, who speaking to Elsie, and she reveals it is Arnold who... Whoa. No, so... so um, Elsie um, called Bernard earlier and said that Teresa had been the one sending out data, but Elsie, upon further looking, had also found other changes that are, I guess, are this relay was being used to make to hosts, um, and those changes are logged as Arnold. Arnold has made those changes, right. which are not all the changes, but it, but is some subsection. Um, and you know, Bernard is like, that's not possible. Arnold's Arnold's dead. Um, and uh, but Elise is is pretty adamant. You know, not if he's living in a computer. Not if not if he's living in a computer, people. Right. Um, <laughs> or if he's living inside a host, and and a host is carrying on his work. But yeah, so apparently uh, Arnold is uh, coding from beyond the grave and uh, making changes to uh, hosts. And these changes include supposedly, supposedly, but definitely. And some of these changes include actual actual um, adjustments to the fundamental programming of hosts, mm-hmm. including the ability to lie, um, potentially hurt uh, guests, um, which I think is interesting going back to, to some of the things we saw Bernard and Dolores talking about in their right. conversations. You know, Bernard asks Dolores several times, have you told anyone about these conversations? Don't tell anyone about these conversations. So, so it's possible that Bernard is the one, in fact, making these it, changes in the... Disguised as Arnold. Disguised as Arnold, right. exactly. Yeah, that's what it seems Which, to be. Yes. But, but it, it could be Arnold. However, given that Bernard knows Dolores um, is capable of lying and, and, it, and is pushed her to do so, I think it just maybe goes to show that those scenes with Dolores happen after what's going on here. If, in fact, Bernard was surprised when Elise brought that information to him, Bernard is maybe just using those lies later on for his own ends. Or he's just playing dumb. Or he's just playing dumb. But I, I, I don't necessarily think so. I buy into the fact right now, my opinion is that Bernard is surprised that these changes have been made. And, he's like, hmm. and then at some point in the future, when he decides that he's going to be having these conversations with Dolores and maybe pushing her right. to to expand on her programming, that he starts using uh, those changes or using for his the, own ends. Or use, taking the knowledge that it can be done. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Um, anything further? Okay, so the next scene is Ford having discussion with young Ford um, about the dog. And he said, who killed the dog? And... And he's like, it wasn't. He he lies. I forget what he says, but he lies. And then he goes, analysis mode. Did you lie to me? Yes. I killed the dog. Why? Arnold told me to. Um, essentially. Um, right. Which is just confirmation that um, some of these hosts uh, can lie. Uh, particularly the older hosts that, ha- that uh, could potentially interact with this right. relay that we've seen. So... Are, do, are all the hosts who are able to lie able to do so because Arnold programmed them? Did Arnold only program the old hosts like Dolores and, and young Robert? Um, why is the kid killing the dog in the first place? I mean, Ar- he said Arnold told me he... he well, was- I, I think this is... I actually think this is, an uh, again, another minor thing seemingly that's very important. The boy says that Arnold told him to do it and the boy said it's because uh, the dog was that was a killer, was that way by nature, and that this was a way of helping the dog to stop him from being like that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So if More Arnold's if Arnold's solution to the problem to this particular problem is to destroy the thing that can't help its nature, then we maybe have a different spin on what we've what I've thought about Arnold for a little while. Right? I thought I, I thought of Arnold as this sort of uh, quietly benevolent person who wanted to maybe free the hosts from their loops and, and give them consciousness. Um, but maybe there's a darker side to Arnold, and maybe if he sees that there's this problem, that to him eliminating the problem is the morally correct choice. And it's interesting that Arnold would have some hosts exercise moral judgment on others when they're all programmed, presumably. So you're going to have certain hosts eliminate other hosts that you or your team has consciously and purposefully programmed in such a way. Like, you program that dog to, like, kill birds or whatever it was doing that the boy deemed... I mean, these are not... These are not creatures with free will that you're programming them to kill. These are pre-programmed, so it, it, it's just interesting. Yeah, it is. And I'm thinking that, you know, there's an aspect of me that's thinking that maybe the voice of Arnold is is this programming that's been put in place to sort of coax consciousness and coax these uh, these this moral evolution out of some of these uh, machines, um, and that maybe it's, it's an unfortunately brutal morality, but maybe... That's what Arnold is is just pushing in his attempt to get the evolution that he's looking for. Or it's Bernard again, disguised as Arnold. Uh, I mean, at this point, it, it's anyone's guess. Um, okay, next scene and the final scene in the episode is we're back with um, Maeve. And she brings up the bargain that she has with Felix's friend. And she says something about it being lucrative. Which I didn't really understand how it could possibly be lucrative for that guy. Uh, well, um, I, I think she she essentially says that if you're going to get screwed either way, you may as well take the more lucrative route. And in this case, I took that to mean um, if if you're going to be screwing around and if you're going to be uh, erasing host's memory mm-hmm. so that people can have... Uh, but people on this floor are going to have sex with them or whatever. Um, you know, you may as well get something out of that deal rather than have yourself exposed what is he getting and out fired. Of Her silence. Okay. All you right. Um, and then she says that she wants to um, increase her bulk. Uh, so, well, so going, going, yeah, going, going back to uh, her conversation with Felix. They were talking about some of her attributes. And now, you know, that she's she's sort of broken out of her wheel a little bit, taking control of her life, she's dropping her loyalty a little bit. Um, Cause and, fuck that. <laughs> and she's skyrocketing her, her, uh, her intelligence, her overall intelligence, beyond the 14 that all hosts max out Which at. Which is almost an orgasmic um, high for her. She, it's, a, it's a, an extreme awareness, and it, it appears to make her feel great. Yeah, yeah, apparently it does. Um, and then... Uh, That's how the episode ends. The, yeah, the episode ends uh, with her sort of uh, expanded mind, and, uh, and then we, uh, we cut out. Um, two things, uh, no Dolores at all in this episode. Yeah. No Will and Logan. Right. Any thoughts about that? Um, I think we spent a lot of time with them, and, uh, yeah, and, you know, the last time we saw Dolores, she had also expanded herself pretty aggressively. And maybe it was time for Maeve to catch up to that. And I, I think, so they, you know, they're balancing out between, you know, the journeys of Maeve and Dolores, and so I think in this particular case it was Dolores, it was Maeve's turn, and so that's why I think we didn't touch base with, uh, with Dolores or Will at this point, and so maybe... Maybe this also just further shows us, you know, maybe this is a, a harder line drawn that there are two timelines and that Will um, and Dolores and everything that's going on around that occupies a separate and distinct timeline from this one where we see Maeve, mm-hmm. where we see the man in black. Yeah. And so maybe it's just cl- drawing those clear demarcations. That was the other thing I wanted to ask you, whether this you feel that this episode sh- shed any further light on the timeline. Um, yeah, and, and I, I think it does. 
in 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 what you just said. Yeah, and in, in yeah. what I just said, and uh, and a couple of the other things, I think you know, I think this this to me shows that this stuff is, um, you know, just happening at a different time from from the other stuff. I'm still not clear what's happening first, what's happening second. Um, there's still a lot of questions and, and a little bit of contradictory uh, information in my mind, but. Okay, well, I think that's all that we have to talk about. Um, if you've actually listened this uh, to the end of this podcast, Scott and I really want to thank you. Um, we put a lot of work and a lot of heart into this podcast, and uh, we really want to thank you if you've listened to it at all, or especially if you've listened to it this far. It really means a lot to us. Um, please rate us on iTunes. Um, uh, we would love to get a rating, or we would love to read a review. Um, and if you would like to send us an email, um, which we would address on the podcast, and we would love to um, re- receive any sort of email, um, it is incitingincidentcast at gmail.com. Um, anything you want to add, Scott? No. Thank you guys very much. Um, thank you so much, and have a good week. <laughs>